Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. He need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Kaylee Rango has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Minus three with Dave Damashek. Yeah, that's how college football 2021 ended, albeit in January of 2022. But we're all set to look ahead to the kickoff of this year's college football season with Alex Kirshner, one of the great college football minds out there. You can check out his work on Split Zone Duo. We'll kibitz with him in just a second. In the meantime, make sure you're checking out all the great shows on the Extra Points Network, specifically a shout-out right now to the Megans and Daddy Spaghetti sitting there behind the glass as we kibitz right now. One-year anniversary of Megan Fun of Sports. If you haven't checked it out, shame the devil. Make uh, make good on that and uh, and check it out. ASA AMP, great shows there. Extra points with uh, with Sal and Marty Weiss. We're deep diving into pro football, um, making our picks there. So are the against all odds boys. So anywho, um, extrapoints.com. Go check out all that stuff. And before we get into college football, Eddie Spaghetti, a couple of things I just wanted to make mention of. First of all, the Little League World Series is on, and I know football hasn't really started yet. It's just the Civil War reenactments that everybody's looking at in August that have very little um, import when the games actually start to count here. But man, do I hate this thing. And I, 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 for some reason, I feel like I'm the curmudgeon. I'm painted as the curmudgeon for hating the televi- the televising of this little league jazz. Yes. I know it's a great celebration for the kids that are good and who make great plays. And then they'll live off of that for the next seven decades of their lives. But what about this generation's me's? They're the ones that, that, that suffer. You think it's great? You think that it's magnified a hundred times if you make a great play while it's on TV and millions of people see it? What if you make a bad play and you're 11 years old? I made a lot of bad plays when I was 11 years old. The only, the only thing that makes me happy about that, the only, the only satisfaction I can take from those is at least there wasn't a camera on me doing that. At least the gathered audience of 17 people watching it were embarrassed on my behalf and I shamed Mo Damashek and the rest of the family, but it it was a limited group of people that could really take me to task for that. I don't like the college, the, the Little League World Series, Eddie Spaghetti. Do you see what I'm talking about here? Uh, I'm not used to being anti. I mean, I'm, I'm fine. These kids, they play, you know, in every month of the year, cold weather baseball leagues, travel leagues. And uh, for them to get this far, I think it's pretty cool. Maybe I'm biased towards it because uh, there have been a few Staten Island teams that have gotten through. But I don't watch it really. I see some highlights here and there on on the on. I'm Twitter, pro kid. But. You understand? I'm being pro kid. I'm, I'm I'm protecting those the the weakest among us, like me. You understand? So I'm not you- here to support you. I'm not a, you with your 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 uh, fancy success in sports in in junior high and high school and all that crap. I'm talking about people like me who are out on the field too. So your shortcomings as a child athlete is what's the issue. You're goddamn right. <laughs> and also, and like I say, this generation's version of me. Also, um, I wanted to uh, to mention before we get into college football, 
uh, the game of life or the fictionalized game of life that is this new Game of Thrones show. You are watching it, right? Oh, Spaghetti, yeah. I know you are from yes. your social media yes. and your hip on it. I don't know. I don't know. I've been burned already. Don't you see? I Fool me once. Shame on you. But, I mean, am I going to really watch a show that is from the Game of Thrones people after what they did to me a couple of years ago? Oh, so you didn't watch All it. of us? You didn't, you didn't watch the episode yet. I w- I've watched the first three quarters of it. Okay. I'll be honest. Well, I've, I've watched it. They Not all of it. I haven't seen the end yet. They, uh, I was worried too, obviously, and uh, you know. But then when you start reading the stuff about how with the original show, how basically the last two seasons, if not more, they didn't really consult George R. R. Martin at all. And you have to remember, this is his, you know, source material from his books. And uh, you know, the one good thing about this show, The House of the Dragon, is that it, it is based off of uh, his books as well. And the people they have involved in this, obviously, like the director of the first episode, Miguel Sapochnik, like he's done a lot of the better game of thrones episodes so the fact that george is involved he said he's been more involved with this than pretty much any time throughout game of thrones is very encouraging and i was skeptical watched the first episode and some people like i don't want to get used to new characters and that like i am i'm bought in i I was like i was telling jada who's not a you know a fan of game of thrones that i was like almost emotional when the episode ended because i was like wow they actually did it like my favorite one of my favorite things on the planet is you know song of ice and fire books and game of thrones and And they nailed it. And I thought the first episode was so damn good. I mean, it's the most watched episode in like HBO history. Um, So I'm sucked back in. I know plenty of people are sucked back in. They're like, we're going to be attached to this show. I thought the first episode was so good. It was disturbing at times. It was very violent. It was sad. Um, It was exactly what you want of Game of Thrones uh, or Game of Thrones project. So I I absolutely loved it. I'm hooked. And I I think anyone that does watch this or listens to the sound of my voice, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, well, uh, I'll have to meditate on it. I haven't even completed the episode yet. The thing that stood out to me, though, was the jousting, that that exists in the fictional world as well as uh, in, in fictional medieval days. Um, you know, I, I when I watch um, stuff that is like if you, uh, you ever watch Amadeus, I always think like, Imagine if your entertainment, you know, we, I'm sure you're aware we have sports that we can go to college and pro and all that. And you can go and see bands of, of all genres of music. You were pretty limited like 200 years ago to the opera or the symphony. And I always think that would suck. And a lot of the thing, and like, what are they, what's it called when they tie the string, the, the, the maripole thing, you know, when they go around, like that's entertainment. That's what you did for fun. Like that, that was what you went out to watch. Now the joust is something. Are you with me on this? That if there was modern day jousting and I don't mean like modified so that it was safe. I mean, what we watch there. I think I could get into that. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, the, the, with like literally your life on the line, uh, and if not your life, it's going to be severely altered due to injury potentially, mm-hmm. uh, and to see who's the best of the best and who never loses and, and someone who's never got knocked off the horse. I mean, of course I'd be all into that, but yes. Yeah, wonder if you could be good safer. at it though. My, my, that was my concern is like, first of all, the stadium that it's in is perfect. It's like, you couldn't play football. You couldn't like, Oh, we also in the jousting off season, we do baseball. Like, no, it's just all the only thing you have is just the room for the two jousters. But I was thinking like, is there, there must be some skill to it. Although it's not apparent, you know, you just have to ride, you have to know how to ride a horse. But then if you know how to do that, like you just got to stick your pole in the right place. 
Sorry, yeah. out of context, that could uh, that could sound bad. But yes, I, I'm with you. On as that. usual, stick your pole in the right place. Good, good uh, life advice. Yeah, that Let's, it does seem to be. You don't have to be like the most skillful may not always win. I, I do get what you're saying. Like I think the horse does play a large part. Like how good you are at horse riding, but how hmm. good the horse is. Uh, your equipment. I think you know if, if all if shields and all poles are all the same equally. But I assume that each rider will have some kind of uh, you know custom or specific type of thing. But I, I do think that that's a, a it is a sport or an event that you may even the best may not win. That's very true. I also was thinking about like aesthetically, as I love my uniforms, uh, what kind of helmet I would wear. I think it would give way to safety first for me. The one guy with the long blonde hair, he has like an open one, like his whole his whole neck and his mouth yes. and his nose, and I, they're all exposed. The other guy, like you can barely even see his eyes because because they're uh, they're so covered up in metal. I think I'd have to go that way. Plus. More intimidating than seeing this punum. I'm too pretty. Like if you saw me, you wouldn't take me seriously. Interesting thought about the horse, though. Well, Damon, You're probably right. Damon, You're probably right. Damon Targaryen, uh, played by Matt Smith, the uh, the long blonde hair guy you're talking about with the open face, but he had the dragon wings on top of his helmet, and he was wearing all black and red. I thought his outfit was was yeah. pretty awesome. Uh, and George R. R. Martin says that he is the his favorite character he's ever written. So. Um, hmm. It's going to be a very exciting season to follow to follow his path, but uh, but I'm I'm also with you. I would wear the most amount of shields and, and cover as possible because I don't want that stick getting through anywhere. Eyes, neck, it's it's trouble. Um. All right. Uh, so all right, I'll indulge the last fifteen minutes of episode one, and then we'll reconvene for my uh, for my final review. There, um, you can uh, you can track down where working our way through i mentioned on extra points we've worked our way through um on the most recent episode the entire afc now also tracked down on social media at damashek my latest divisional picks in the nfc north and the afc south are now out there spoiler alert i have the packers winning the nfc north but some juicy stuff in there nevertheless make sure you check that down and now let's get into some college football after a quick break. All right, let's get into it now, shall we? Some college football kibitzing with a guy who I really, whose work I really love when I track it down on social media. You can do the same. Um, go to alexkirshner.com and, of course, his great college football-based podcast, Split Zone Duo. It's Alex Kirshner. What's the poop, fella? Thanks for joining Shaq, pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to another Pittsburgher. Yes, in, indeed. In football media. Yes, indeed. And like I say, that's no jive. I'm not just saying that because uh, because we're kibitzing right now. I really um, found you from afar, just randomly on social media, and enjoyed uh, your takes and all of that. And that led into a deeper dive. And here we are now on the uh, on the cusp of another college football season. Before we jump into that, though. Um, you just mentioned we're both Pittsburgh fellas, so you you're required to yeah. to take a bite of the apple here. Trubisky or Pickett? Trubisky then Pickett. That's okay. what I'm going with. Okay. I mean, Trubisky. Trubisky. I, I don't like when when does he have his first multi interception game? That's probably when we when we do it right. Um, it it does seem like it's been a a relatively upbeat August of quarterbacking for the Steelers. So I guess we're in a less upsetting position than we could have been in if like all three of them had been terrible 
it is weird, and I, I, I don't want to go down the, this rabbit hole because, like I say, we have uh, we have other fish to fry. But it is funny, like how are we after the last couple few years of, of watching Roethlisberger, like the offensive line once again? Everybody watched the the Jacksonville game and has now uh, is now uh, desperately concerned about um, the offensive line. Um, but we now have whether it's Trubisky or. Uh, Pickett, we have a QB who can actually run away to some degree from pressure. So how big a concern, how much do you expect uh, a bum O-line to scuttle any hopes the Steelers have of getting back to the playoffs? Honestly, this might be the benefit to Kenny Pickett if he's the quarterback. Like Kenny's playing style at Pitt, as as many Yinzers will already know, was to pretty much run for his life and then chuck it around in a very schoolyard fashion. Like his time to throw numbers were hilarious like they were way off off of what would be an nfl chart so maybe he's the guy maybe that's it like i if the offensive line is terrible and it looks like it is a big shocker then maybe you just need kenny pickett to play like he played at pit uh except now against seven times harder competition and so could be mike if that happens i think it'll be fun i don't know if it'll be efficient or successful this year but it'll be fun now your glass has to be more than half full to buy and but i can't help myself i kind of see it physically and otherwise the picket comps to joe burrow um not to say he's going to be that level of player two years into his career but everybody who is volunteering like joe burrow as an example so what if the offensive line is bad joe burrow did well behind his do people forget how joe burrow's rookie season ended what did he play? Five games before he more than out? that, but it ended with a ligament not being connected right. to the things it was supposed to be connected to, and the Bengals losing a lot of games. Yes, indeed, right, exactly. Yes, people have uh, gotten amnesia about his rookie season and also the David Carr experience back at the start of the millennium. Yes. All right, let's let's talk uh, college football. And we'll start off with here. You're a Pittsburgh kid, but you, like me, are a big teen alumnus of. Uh, of another school you're yep. a maryland terp yay or nay on the state flag helmets nay at this mm. point and i i was i was actually pro for a while i just i think we've gotten a little bit too far down the road with the flag it, it was it's a nice touch it's a nice touch a nice trim i think that at some point it's the, the, the main reason i'm a nay um is nothing to do with the uh kind of back and forth uh both sidesism of Maryland around the Civil War, which raises some questions about the flag. So there's that, but there's also oh, I didn't know that. I didn't there's, know the history. I just yeah, Maryland. Like Maryland that. has sort of Maryland's athletics department has sort of gotten to skate on this one a little bit. Um, but also, it's just the Terps script of like the of the early aughts of the late yes. '90s with the curse of Terps. Like that's the helmet, man. Like let's keep it simple. I mean, let's like you know, I associate the flag helmet too much with Randy Edsel, and who wants that? <laughs> Touche. I do like, yeah, I do like uh, the script Terps of uh, who was always Boomer, right? Who else uh, wore that lid? Boomer would have worn that. Uh, EJ Henderson, Vernon Davis would have right. worn that. This was before before my time as a Maryland fan or alum. But uh, you know, the Ralph Friedgen years of Maryland when they had this beloved alum as the head coach, that's what they wore on their helmets. Uh, Tory Smith, a great wide receiver for a long time in the NFL, would have worn that helmet. So I say go back to it. Let's make it happen. Jumping ahead then, and I want to talk about uh, some conference stuff here, of course. That's uh, the the hot topic um, in 2022. But why are we as a society 
still doing preseason polls now that they are legitimately more relevant we're as relevant as they've ever been but what you know the canard of issuing preseason polls when part of the human condition is self-validation so if you slot a team in the top five even if they lose early on you're 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 incented to support your own initial opinion and and keep them there how say you on this yeah, the human brain, we need things to be simplified for ourselves. And I think that the top 25 in the preseason lets people narrow their field of vision, especially in college football, because it's such a vast sport with so much going on. Uh, is it silly? Yes. Um, is part of the reason that it exists that agents will never let it go? Because if you're in the top 25 in the preseason, that might sometimes cash you a bonus for a head coach right there. Um, and as long as you stay in it for week one, it definitely will. Absolutely. Uh, That stays in there as well. Uh, Kind of a grift, pretty easy, I think, if you're in the coach industrial complex to be able to point to these fake August rankings. Uh, But that's the thing about college football. The fake becomes the real if enough people say that it's real. And we've decided that this one is okay. It is weird, though, like I say, because it it kind of to to some degree um, lays out that lays out the map of where the season's going to go. It's hard to be an interloper given that things are not set in stone necessarily, but at least they're penciled in before uh, a single uh, yeah. snap of the football. So yeah. It, yeah. It gets tough. I mean, and if you're, especially if you're a group of five team and you know, you're seven and oh, and you're waiting for the AP voters to let you in, I think that that probably gets pretty exasperating at some point. Okay, I I consider preseason polls a plague on the sport. And by the way, I love college football. I love most yeah. everything about it. The aesthetics are superior to pro football and beyond. But there are some obvious issues going on with the beloved game. Um, but one of them is not NIL. And you have done as good a job legitimately, to my eyes, of covering that and explaining it and the nooks and crannies of it over the last couple of years. So kudos to you on that. But now that it has been proven more or less that the NIL is not going to be the demise of college football, let's figure out what the actual plagues on college football are and rank them. Are they? Let me give them to you. Sameness. Sameness. When I, when I was growing up, it was delightful to see the regional differences between Big 8 um, triple option offense versus the Florida school slinging it around versus yeah. three yards in a cloud of dust and and West Coast football and all those different styles and what was going to win out around New Year's um, and uh, around the holidays every year. Sure. So that's what, same. Sure. Nebraska Conference, and Florida State. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Conference consolidation. Knowing the final four in August or the aforementioned preseason pulse, how say you? What are what are the things yeah. that uh, college football would do well to work around? So, knowing the final four in August, I mean, it wasn't the final four before because there wasn't a playoff. But knowing who's going to be good is not new. Uh, I think we've had a pretty good idea of that since well before either of our times. At this time of year, you could say with pretty good certainty that the top five were going to come from this pool of fifteen. Maybe there'd be one interloper, but it was it was pretty tight. Uh, in terms of preseason polls, those have been around since, what, 1934 or something like that? Um, the years that Minnesota was winning those AP national titles at the very beginning. So that's not new either. Um, so college football has, has certainly thrived through, through those things. I think that if you are worried about college football being a diminished version of itself, the two that are most compelling to me there are, are the ones that are new, um, which is kind of the homogenization of it all. Uh, schematically and in other ways, um, and 
conferences and what they've done to warp the priorities of the sport uh, around television money more than anything. I don't think that TV and and conference consolidation is going to kill college football, but I do think it's changed it. And I don't think that most of that's been for the better. You know, I mean, we're both from Pittsburgh. I'm pumped to go to whatever stadium it's called now. Uh, I, I Krisher stadium. I can't even say it, uh, for the backyard. Brawl. Tomato ketchup. Yeah, it, oh, no, absolutely. That's not it. Uh, I'm excited to get there and watch a Pitt West Virginia game that should be happening every year, but hasn't happened in 10 or 11. Um, you know, you could look at, uh, and I don't think it's just the demise of rivalries. You know, it was a shame that Texas and A&M didn't play for all those years and, and won't until they're back in the SEC together. I think that's part of it, but I also think it's just that when conferences consolidate in this way, you have more schools that are told they don't matter. And, that's tough. And that's, and that's a step even removed from, you know, growing up, knowing that if you were an Iowa state fan, you weren't going to win the national title. Of course, that's a step different than you're now a second class citizen in the top realm of the sport. You're not in that realm anymore because you're not in the big 10 of the sec. Um, And I think that that is a more existential danger to keeping the sport relevant for more people than, you know, the general lack of parity is because it's, it just gets a little bit harder to dream in a sport where you've already had to sort of make your own fun. And at some point, maybe push does come to shove there. And that that really does hurt the sport's ability to retain and to make new fans. Is it? I mean, Alabama's uh, the kingpin and all of that. But um, it, it seems to me because, I, you know, I'm regarded as precious for and, and naive because when I hear of all the uh, the, the conference shakeups to to me as as we have now covered thoroughly um, that I'm from Pittsburgh and I'm an Indiana University graduate so for me as a football watcher it would be a dream come true if you put Pitt into the Big Ten and put West Virginia in there, have those regional rivalries all set up, Penn State, West Virginia, Pitt, and then I get to watch Indiana play Pitt, you know, heaven for me. But it seems to me that the teams that are excluded from the conversation of who's who's eligible to get in to these to the couple of of heavyweight conferences is based around market size. That's a sea change from days past. Is that is that I, you know, when Nick Saban retires or, or is that something yeah. that, that you see happening that the, the, the metropolis is because yeah. Northeast, yeah. Northern college football fans are not as prominent in the Northeast for a yeah. reason. There aren't any powerhouse teams up there. Yeah. I think that it is. I think market size is the thing and it's, it's not strictly like your media market. It's also just the size of your fan base, you know, Norman, Oklahoma, uh, doesn't have a ton of people in it, but there are a ton of Oklahoma fans and that made them more attractive to the SEC. But this is all still pretty new in the long run of the sport. I think the if you really want to blame one party, it, it's probably the United States Supreme Court. Not that they got the ruling wrong, but in 1984, the NCAA had still been controlling TV rights for the entire history of, of football on TV. The NCAA said, here's how many games you can put on TV. We're going to get to pick who gets to go where. We're going to disperse the money. It's going to be an NCAA operation. Uh, And eventually the conferences got mad about that. The bigger schools in particular got mad about that. They sued. They won on antitrust grounds. And that's why that's the beginning of the origin of why the Big Ten is soon going to be pushing about $100 million a year per school. And that's why in the Big Ten's decision making, you know, it went and added Rutgers in Maryland instead of, I don't know, 
Pitt and West Virginia, for example, which both would have been more straightforward ge- you know, geographical fits. Uh, the reason for that was that the Big Ten network gets into more homes in New York mm-hmm. and gets into more homes in D.C. And the Big Ten and Fox, its partner, can charge a couple dollar, a couple cents more a month to uh, cable providers. And that is a warping of priorities because nobody asked for Rutgers versus Iowa. Neither fan base particularly asked for that. Um, and so the business gods just kind of grabbed the sport and are now uh, wagging the entire dog. And I think you have to get comfortable with that if you're going to continue to care about the sport because it is the way that it's not just going, but the way that it is. Interesting uh, stuff. But, you know, when we talk about the business side of it, here's the part that I don't feel like has been discussed. Why do you suppose Deion Sanders, notwithstanding what he's what he's trying to do down there, for the most part, this all assumes that the that the four or six powerhouses of college football will stay the same four or five, four or six teams ruling college football for the next decade. Iowa State, Pitt, they don't have billionaire boosters. Isn't that the solution to all of this? Alabama has cornered the market on billionaires who are willing to pay big time yeah. deals or USC or otherwise. Where, where is that? Isn't that the way that the second tier teams yeah. catch up to these to to the juggernauts? See, it's funny, but I think no. And this is kind of a paradigm shift. You know, th- there are some exceptions to this. You know, Phil Knight at Oregon gives right. Oregon so much money that you know, Phil can compete with what a TV partner might give the Pac-12 and they might give to Oregon through that. Um, but, you know, if I'm – take Pitt, for example. I mean, you know, Pitt's got a few rich people who went to the school there. But uh, does Pitt have anybody who is prepared on a year-after-year basis to give Pitt what the ACC gives Pitt by way of ESPN? I mean, that's tens of million dollars, tens of millions of dollars every year. I mean, even like the – biggest rootin' tootin' boosters in college football are no longer the richest guys in the room because that's these TV networks. These are mm. publicly traded companies that are in the in the game. Um, not to say that you can't make some decisions and have your voice heard and that athletic departments aren't trying to fundraise. But, you know, if you're a Texas Longhorns booster and, uh, you know, like a, a Red McCombs type who uh, – or, or one of his kind of uh, – successors in Austin, maybe you hated the idea of going to the SEC and maybe you give a million dollars a year and that would used to buy you a lot of influence, but like a million dollars a year is is cute compared to what Texas is getting to go to the SEC. Um, so someone got more money than you and it's a publicly traded company uh, and it's a giant media corporation and in a weird way, boosters are diminished. And yeah, I mean, uh, maybe Stanford has some like tech billionaires who could come in and decide that they want to make Stanford football the powerhouse of the world uh, and you know take it independent or something but it's hard to compete with the media money yeah there's a, there's pretty much a straight line between the most well-funded programs and the ones that are at the top of the standings in the preseason at the end of things too a team that is on the cusp of the top 10 pretty much every year but still I feel like it would be unsatisfying to be a fan why aren't AM fans angrier about their perennial nine and three status? I well, wouldn't, wouldn't you expect that they would complain much more? I make jokes about yeah. Texas as much as anybody, but it's AM. They're never, they never sniffed the, the final no. four. Why, why isn't there uh, well, rioting in the streets down there? I, I think that getting close, I think they finished 
fifth in the first COVID year, the messiest COVID year, 2020, probably bought Jimbo Fisher oh, some yeah, goodwill. That's right. Okay. But, but, but I don't want to disagree with you directionally because I think you're onto something. I, it's a cult. I mean, and I think most Aggies would admit that it's a cult. Like this, that's what Texas A&M is. Um, they're insane. That's not necessarily an insult in college football. And in, in fact, insanity is rarely, I think, a pejorative in college football. If you're going to try to win at that level, you sort of have to. It's a feature and not a bug. But uh, he does have them wrapped around his finger. And I think part of it is that the recruiting has been good. Part of it is that he's won a national championship. Uh, A&M, you might have heard, hasn't uh, in a while. And he has convinced a lot of people that he's their savior. Uh, he might be. But I, I definitely think like something probably has to give this year. Uh, last year was very disappointing. A lot of people thought that they could push Bama and Georgia last year. They did beat Bama, but ultimately they didn't push them. You know, it didn't materialize at the top of the SEC standings. If they don't win 10 games this year, I think something starts to give. Now, they're not firing him because they basically signed over the deed to the school. Um, he he would be the most expensive buyout by orders of magnitude that any school's ever paid. So he's got all the leverage. I mean, they're not he's not going anywhere. But I think the mood might change if they go nine and three mm. again this year. Like this should be a double digit win team. The hay's in the barn. Like you can't brag about your all-time great recruiting class and you know, through one side of your mouth and then through the other say, oh, it's okay that this was a, a rebuilding year or something like that. Um, especially because you don't know how many of those players are gonna stick around. You know, you got them all this year, but a couple of them are buried on the depth chart. They're going to leave. In fact, almost certainly some of them are going to leave anyway uh, and go play elsewhere. So got to be a big year or, or I, I think that something starts to give. Interesting. Um, I, you know, I always say about the movie face off about people is I'm going to, I'm going to attempt a simile or a, uh, a, an analogy or, or whatever it is. And you can tell me after the fact, which it is, but, um, I always say about people who complain about the movie Face Off. Like, don't go if, if after you see the movie Face Off. Like, it's so unbelievable that you could take one man's face off and put it on another and no one would know the difference. Like, you knew that that was the, the plot of the movie before you went to see it. You can't come yep. out on the other side and then be, be belly aching about um, how ridiculous it was. Same goes for being a college football fan. A&M maybe is in a gray area. Notre Dame is maybe in a gray area. On my side of things, is there, can, can you um, rationalize for those of us, for the vast majority of, of rooters of teams that are not going to be in the Final Four, of how to enjoy college football right now? I don't expect my team, the teams that I enjoy watching, to wind up in the Final Four, but yeah. I still have a feeling like I, I've been able to adjust my eye a little bit and enjoy it on a different level, even though I, I know it doesn't wind up with my team winning the national championship. Yeah. I would start by saying that if not having a real into the national championship makes college football a non-entity for you, something you can't enjoy, I respect that. That's fine. There's plenty of sports where that's not the case and um, no ill will whatsoever. You know, you got to pick what you find fun and what you take joy in because you only have so much unstructured free time to, to put into sports. Uh, but I do think that there's a way Now to you enjoy. and me, we nope, built our nope, whole lives around nope. the foolishness. So this is true. We're stuck. To us. We are stuck. Uh, I think that you find the fun. And by that, I mean, like, I don't really expect Pitt to win the ACC again this year. I think it's possible. That's your stretch goal. You know, win your conference. That's great. But if, when I look back on the season, I'm going to look back on they beat West Virginia or they didn't. Like in large part, and I mean, it's not quite that simple. It's not quite Army-Navy where they really will boil an entire season down to how they did against each other. But 
I want to know that I, my team that I grew up with beat the hell out of the team that I grew up not liking. And that is an hour and a half down 79. Like that will bring me joy. Um, I understand if it doesn't, you know, if you're a Yukon fan and you know a great season is four and eight, I can understand if that's hard to mentally adjust to. Um, and if you just want to beat UMass and not be the worst FBS team in New England, I think that's great. Like, I think you just find things to enjoy. And that's something that I think college football fans have always done because the number of national champions, uh, recognized FBS champions by some major selector, it's pretty small. Um, and if you go by, you know, your school having done it in your lifetime, it's even smaller. So at least it's a learned skill. Um, though it is certainly harder in this sport than it is in a number of others. Although it might not be much different than like, I'm a Pirates fan. You're a Pirates fan too, being from Pittsburgh. There's not a whole lot of difference necessarily between uh, looking at the Pirates situation, trying to win a World Series and looking at, I don't know, UNLV is trying to win a college football playoff. I, you know, I I feel like specifically uh, with Pitt, but there are a couple other teams that are like that. Cincinnati, um, is is uh, on some level even more intriguing, kind of replacing Boise State. And now Utah is getting into the mix of being pretty close to a top 20 team every year and top 10 yeah. and being on the cusp. I I almost feel like, obviously, I want Pitt to beat West Virginia and then turn around and beat Tennessee the next week. But if that happens, it's a little bit careful what you root for because then I will be and Pitt fans will be sucked into like, it wasn't just a one-year blip with Kenny Pickett and, and Jordan Addison. Now we're building something, and then I'm going to start feeling raw, looking at the looking at the yep. weekly polls and everything, and and feeling um, like I'm being unfairly treated or my team is being unfairly treated. Yeah, we're you're all around it. Go ahead and pick it, Pitt. Yeah. Laying six and a half against JT Daniels and company. Keaton Slow Kedon Slovis comes over from yes. SC, dude. Yeah. Jordan Addison just completed the deal, Yens. That's all. We, we you know, we took that was uh, trade. Kedon, yeah. that's all. So how say you? Six and a half. Transfer QBs. Yeah. I think I think I'll lay that. I think I'll take Pitt in that game. Uh I think Pitt's gonna be better than people think. Uh I and I too. and I, I I really do. I like Jordan Addison is a tough loss. Don't get me wrong. He's he was the best receiver in college football last year. The receiving talent is not really a shortcoming of Pitts. I think that Slovis has plenty of places to go with the ball. Uh, and I think that most importantly, uh, this is going to be a serious Pat Narduzzi defense. I like, I think JT Daniels is going to spend a lot of time on his back in this game. And, you know, I think Kalaja Kansi is going to be one of the, five or 10 best defensive linemen in college football this year. Pitt's secondary continues to restock year after year with pretty good players. Uh, and West Virginia is the team that is really putting together uh, something on the fly in a way, on, you know, kind of on both sides of the ball that Pitt's only doing on one. Um, you know, Pitt's defense is a reliable bet. Uh, also, it's a home game. Uh, and I think that, you know, maybe true talent wise, I think Pitt is probably five or six points better than West Virginia. You just look at the teams where they came out of last season, home game. So I'll, I'll take the six and a half. And I, I'll, and I I'll like, lay the six and a half. Uh, you know, a, a not subtle adjustment. Kedon Slovis is is plenty good at, at slinging the football around. You know, oh, yeah. 18 months ago, yeah. he was a, a first round draft pick projected right there along uh, with Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell. Um, 
But uh, we saw what happened to all three of those guys. Um, that's a conversation for another time. But I do think that they're they're going to be able to run the ball on West Virginia as well. They're built to do yep. that with that O-line and the bangers they have in the backfield. So, yeah, I'm with you on Pitt there. But if they go 0-2, the mirage of, of last oh, yeah. year will, yeah. will be a depressing one. Um, very, very much so. Notre Dame. Is Brian Kelly, to what is owed this vibe that I, I have, and I wonder if you yeah. share with me, that now we're as a nation after, you know, decades personally, and I think collectively, like you were, if you were a Notre Dame, they, they are truly a national program and they have weird fans like Eddie Spaghetti, who grew up in Staten Island inexplicably rooting for the Irish. Um, and uh, I feel like now we're all on board with Notre Dame. Is it because just Brian Kelly is so unlikable that the, the pendulum yeah. is swung that we're, that we're pro Irish these days? Yeah, I think it's, Brian Kelly is immensely unlikable, immensely unlikable. I mean, one of the hardest to like of any uh, college football coach of his stature, like Nick Saban is a more chill guy that you'd rather sit around and have a beer with by far. I don't even think it's close, uh, but also his replacement is Marcus Freeman. Mm -hmm. Who's cool. Like, I don't know if you saw the video that uh, Notre Dame did like a hangover spoof uh, with the Golics and Marcus Freeman and Michael Mayer, their tight end and some of their other guys. Um, a couple of weeks ago, where like Marcus Freeman did like a pretty funny acting job on like a nine minute movie um, that was designed to just get some Twitter hype. Like Marcus Freeman's cool. Um, also, it's cool that Notre Dame, like his players seem to love him. He's one of the best defensive minds in the country, was at Cincinnati, was again last year at Notre Dame. Um, it's cool that Notre Dame goes from Brian Kelly, who's this stuffy, waspy dude. Um, it's Catholic, so I don't know if waspy is even the right word for him, to Marcus Freeman who is young. He is black. He is something much different. He like, he, he just, he seems like he is not the stuffy old white Catholic Notre Dame that you associate with, you know, he's, he's a coach for everybody. And so he's likable. People are rooting for him. Brian Kelly's a different guy. So it's a, it's a big change. So we need, like any good uh, drama, we need a villain. Is it then Alabama? Because I feel like Nick Saban has done a good job. Maybe Joey Molinaro doing the impressions have helped that along as well. But I feel like Bama is not loathsome or as loathsome as they as they um, kind of should be. So is LSU now? Because if we, if we can't hate yeah. Notre Dame, college football, like baseball, when the Yankees are good and, you know, the Lakers and Celtics are good, the, their sports and their leagues are better too. We need these evil empires. So who is it then? LSU at this point, Ohio State? How say you? Ohio State might be a decent pick. Uh, the thing about LSU is that Brian Kelly is Brian Kelly, but the LSU fan base and Brian Kelly is going to be an interesting match because I agree with this. Brian Kelly has certain you know, police-like tendencies that I think the LSU fan base and, and the Cajun community in Louisiana do not share. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how those mesh, especially if they have a rough year, which I think they might, because uh, Ed Orgeron didn't leave the, the greatest situation behind to Brian Kelly. Uh, Ohio State's a pretty good pick because Ohio State, for my money at this point, is in the strongest position of any team in college football just year to year. You know, even Georgia, for instance, in, in Alabama – they're wonderful. They're great. Um, Smart and Saban have done great jobs. But in any given time, either of those schools could be outbranded, regionally speaking. You know, there's no nothing that says that they both have to be king of the hill um, in their respective recruiting footprints in the Southeast forever. Uh, just like there was nothing that said Miami had to keep doing it forever or Florida State had to keep doing it forever. 
but for Ohio State, it's going to be forever. Like no one is ever going to be Ohio State. Um, and so if you're looking for someone to view as your evil empire in college football, Ohio State is always going to be this dreary scarlet and gray team playing under crowds in this giant ugly stadium called the Horseshoe. And they're always going to win 10 games. And if they don't, they need to fire their coach in any given year. Because like you or I could probably win about six at Ohio State. Uh, so I pick Ohio State as my evilest empire. That's fun, especially given the Jim Harbaugh. These are the glory days up in Ann Arbor, and they got annihilated by Georgia. As far as that goes, where Georgia is a great example of something that that is a college football fan has to rationalize, which is half of their team is now, uh, you know, just has gone to the NFL in the first round and beyond. But they're, you know, still in the uh, afterglow. Stetson is still around and all of that. But how do you make sense of Georgia? It's not like it's not like if you're a pro football fan, um, if you lose a big free agent, like that's going to really damn your team for the coming season. In college football, if you are one of that small handful of teams, your guys who nobody know, uh, the, the players who were second string, third string are better than Vandy's and, you know, uh, you know, second tier SEC teams. Um, do you have a set? I'm sorry for the muddled, uh, no, no, uh, no. wind up to the question here, but how do you make sense of Georgia being where they are in the standings right now, given that all the guys this side of Stetson, like I say, are now in the NFL? I mean, but, yeah. but, but, but no, but no matter because, well, of course they're, they're a powerhouse. You should assume that they're just going to run it back. Am I right about Georgia? Or are you concerned that they might fall back and create room for an interloper? I think that you're right to have some question. You can't lose an entire NFL defense and just assume that everything is hunky dory and things are going to keep being great. But this is why you recruit at, a level that is all your own or that you're really just sharing with Ohio state and Alabama. It's, it's, it's why you spend years stocking the depth chart with better players than everybody else. I think that offensively they might be better. Um, you know, George Pickens, who of course is going to be scoring touchdowns for our Steelers this year. Check. Dude, um, let's skip he, the season. Let's skip the career. Just put him in Canton now. Dude. Absolutely. All day, no, no, drop no, a pass somewhere down the way that let's not injure his, uh, his gold yeah. jacket chances. Uh, so he's gone, but remember he didn't play for most of last year. He was hurt for the vast majority of the season. You've got Brock Bowers back and sophomore tight end who mm-hmm. might Monster. be one of the best players in the country. Um, Eric Gilbert, who's another tight end who didn't wind up playing last year, but who was like a five stars, five star. It's going to come in there. And they have, I think they have three future NFL tight ends. Darnell Washington is on this team as well. Their receiving group is mostly back outside of Pickens. A lot of offensive linemen back. I don't know what happens if Stetson Bennett has to play from behind because he never did. I mean, except for really in the SEC championship uh, Hmm. where he played very poorly and threw some picks to Alabama. Um, If the defense makes them play from behind, maybe that changes things for the offense. But I I think that even with what eight or nine new starters, I, I think Georgia's going to be fine. Like I'd probably pick them to beat every SEC team except Alabama and, you know, probably wind up with two losses, one of them being the SEC championship game. Like if you put a gun to my head and and made me predict Georgia's season, and that might, depending on how things go, be good enough to to get into the four. So 
Um, it's a step back year, but it's probably not a gap year. I think they're still going to be pretty relevant. It is funny though. Like I, you, you get the larger point I'm making. There's a, there's this weird, vaguely creepy aspect to being a college football or yep. college basketball fan, like being the old men sitting outside the barber shop in yep. Hoosiers evaluating how's this year's kids look. We're talking about 17 year olds who we don't yep. know, but we're making assumptions based on the stars put next to their name by scouts who are strangers yep. to us. True. At least in this case, Stetson Bennett is probably like 30 at this point. So um, at least that is a little <laughs> bit less creepy, but actually probably like 23. But uh, yes, uh, the recruiting industrial complex, uh, real weird. Uh, it is everything to college football, but I enjoy not being in the trenches of it day to day. Um, okay. couple uh, couple things real quick and, uh, and, and then uh, your work here will be complete. Um, I keep using the word interloper. Let's use it one more time here. Give me one good bet, or if there are three you want to take off, or six, if it is not the assumed four. And by the way, the assumption that I'm seeing that DJU is definitely going to bounce back after a season's worth of evidence that the that the random event was how he played in Notre Dame two years ago is is maybe overly optimistic but nevertheless everybody who uh, who knows about the aforementioned 17 year olds incoming and the guys that we haven't gotten a great look at are gonna are gonna play well for Dabo and and they're gonna be in the final four but let's say they don't make it or Georgia doesn't make it give me one to four teams that you think might wind up playing in that final four good bets for us yeah sure uh you know I it's it was a rough off season for them but Oklahoma I think is mildly slept Mm. on coming into this year uh you know you lose lincoln riley you lose caleb williams you lose a lot else uh it's it was and i think it was humbling very humbling for oklahoma because this is a program that never loses um and that just became you know was just on the business end of the most high profile coaching change ever really until brian kelly went to lsu the next day so all that's a wind up to say that their quarterback is dylan gabriel Good, good player from UCF who transferred in. Um, Jeff Levy, their offensive coordinator, scores a lot of points pretty much everywhere he goes. Uh, and Brett Venables, the new head coach, was the best defensive coordinator or certainly the highest paid and one of the highest regarded defensive coordinators in the country for a long time at Clemson. Maybe the Oklahoma defense is not the terrible Oklahoma defense that you are used to watching. Uh one other for you, uh, I'd, I'd look at Utah. That's a super fun one because imagine uh, um, imagine the head scratching that would go on if Oklahoma somehow wound up in a better oh, yeah. spot this year than they have been. I, and I think I think there's a decent chance that Oklahoma. I would even say likely that Oklahoma has a better record than USC this year. Um, <laughs> and I'm and I'm a believer in the USC thing. Like I think that it's totally possible that USC wins the Pac-12 and plays in the Rose Bowl this year. Probably not the playoff, but maybe the Rose Bowl. Um, the only Pac-12 team that I could see. Uh, maybe two, maybe Oregon, but I don't, I don't think Oregon with Bo Nix could could pull it off. Um, I think Utah is the Pac-12's mm-hmm. best hope to play in the playoff this year. Uh, it's going to be a Kyle Whittingham defense. They're, it's going to be a Kyle Whittingham offense, too. They're going to have a really good running back. They're going to have a couple good tight ends. Uh, Cam Rising, their quarterback, I think is more than serviceable. He is not Heisman type, but he's good. Um, better than, than most of what you'll see uh, across the sport this year. So, you know, Give me, give me Utah or Oklahoma. Um, other than that, you know, I, I think there's, there's a world where Notre Dame does it. There's a world where A and M does it. Uh, I have a hard time getting a lot lower than that down the top twenty-five and finding anybody who, who could wind up in the top four. 
Okay. Um, good stuff there. And um, let's say that Alex Kirshner is the big ticket item in high school. He is, uh, you know, play about okay, to sure. start his like senior, yeah, yeah. senior year, BMOC in high school there. Every team wants him in the country. The only decision left is yours to make. Where are you going? Are you going? First of all, give me your broad answer on that one. You can go anywhere in the country you want. All in, you get to enjoy the things that are available in that college town and beyond. The program, the coach, yeah. all of it. I'm probably going to Alabama. Uh, hmm. And it's not because I have any particular desire to be in Tuscaloosa for four years, though I, I'm sure it's a fine place. But uh, if you're the the number one player in the country, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk, especially right now, about how you want to go and max out your name, image, and likeness. And you want to go and, um, you know, be – kind of feted and, and treated like a God in college, the place with the track record of churning me out as an NFL first rounder, who's going to make a ton of money, like way more than any NIL deal is Alabama. Um, and that's why I think Nick has talked about, Oh, you know, we might need to catch up in the name image and likeness space. Cause they, they feel like they were a little bit behind, you know, maybe Texas A&M and some others. Maybe they have to catch up. Maybe it doesn't even matter because if I'm if I'm the best of the best, I'm probably Nick. Nick is going to come into my high school coach's office and point to a list of 47 NFL draft picks who have played that position for him since he's been in Alabama, and I'm going to say thanks, coach. I'll see you see you in August or see you in June when I enroll. It's you're probably right that that's the way to go. I said it's a bad answer though. It's a bad answer. No, I know it's, it's a not. Bad no, it's the probably the accurate answer, but it's a bummer spiritually for me because I've said forever what I would do is I you know don't add me to the to the already long list at tailback you then I'm just another name um, slotting in there. Make me I want to be the Archie Manning. I want to have a statue. I want to be known as the greatest player in program history. But yeah. practically speaking, you don't get as much wear and tear. If you go to Alabama, you're going to you're, you're going to get a fraction of the touches that would be required for you to be the big star at this second or third rate program. So I think you're I right. think you're I think you're right. I also think, though, that if things develop the way that I expect they will, or even just if you just pick a random moment in college football history, USC is pretty good. You know, go and live in L.A. and be one of USC's many future Hall of Famers. Um, ideally not OJ, someone else, hopefully. No, No, not OJ, Um, but but even if you Anyone else, anyone else really among, among that cohort, USC has a Did they take OJ, did they, they took his Heisman, right? Uh, USC has to lead the world in, in revoked Heismans at two. I think that they, they definitely have to leave, lead in, in revoked Heismans. Uh, I think that OJ is not prominently featured in Heritage Hall. I think they probably cleaned that one up a few years ago. I don't think you're right about USC. I live in LA and I love it. But of course, the college experience is it is living in a town that revolves around the program. USC right. at that. It is it did serve as uh, the pro football team for Los Angeles for for um two decades, obviously. I think you go college town. I always hear songs being sung about uh, about Ole Miss. I've never been there. I, I one day I do uh-huh. have to get down there to check one of those out. LSU, I've never been to a game. I guess it matters. An LSU game. I'll tell you, an LSU game is a kind of a religious experience to go to an LSU game. I did, and it should be a night game. I did my first one in 2019 there. Spend the day eating some of If you ever go, I'll put you in touch with some good tailgaters down there. They will feed you. 
and they will they will ask for nothing in return but a good attitude. Well, I can't promise that. So, uh, but but I'll still uh, check in with you on that. Listen, Alex Kirshner, dynamite stuff, kind of laying out. Uh, and I guess last question, just to to do what we're nominally here supposed to do, which is project the college football season. What matters ultimately is who is in the final four. Are those four that you you see everywhere pretty close to ironclad in your brain, or are you? you know, skeptical yeah. of, of Georgia primarily or one of the other ones out there? Uh, I think Alabama and Ohio State are going to Lots. be there. I'd be I'd be very surprised if either of them lost more than one game uh, and did not make it there. Uh, I think Georgia is the best next bet. I, I actually think that Clemson's got some work to do. I mean, I Clemson has tons of talent, and I think they are the favorite to win the ACC again. But I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think it's just like fait accompli that DJ Uyunglele is going to look like he looked that one night in South Bend in 2020 after we have an entire year of it just not being good. Uh, and that opens the door. Um, if Clemson struggles for a Notre Dame, maybe for a Utah, maybe for an Oklahoma, maybe for an AM. and Hey, haven't mentioned Michigan. I guess for a team that just made the playoff, maybe I shouldn't write them off as much as I am. Um, all right. Dynamite stuff. I mentioned the, uh, the split, the split zone duo podcast. Make sure you get in there on that. Alex follow him on social media, on Twitter, Alex underscore Kirshner, K I R S C H N E. No C, no C, what? just S H N A R. Oh my God. But you see, this is how I know we got to start all over again. We got, no, now we're doing it all over again. This is the Pittsburgh thing. I don't think any of my elementary school teachers ever got it right either. So maybe what was cousin. your high school? I went to Mount Lebanon. Mount Lebo. Most people yeah, who, uh, who I meet out, out uh, on the West Coast, they're Mount Lebo dudes. Um, wow. All right, listen, gangbuster stuff. Maybe we can uh, we can uh, catch up at some point during the college football season. Hopefully by then the Pitt Panthers are running through the ACC after surviving unblemished in the uh, in the lead up to things preseason. Not necessary. It's not necessary or else college football would have one. And people who push back on me when I say that um, forget, you know, there there are other Good matchups yeah. in week one. Pitt West Virginia is a legitimate game. Too good, in in my opinion, for Pitt Panther to start the Pitt Panthers to start their season to try and show that uh, it wasn't just a one year blip in 2021. Anyway, I'm jealous of you, man. I uh, I wish I could be out there with you to to watch the Pitt Panthers. Uh, hail to Pitt! Hail to Pitt! Take the field against uh, about, against the Hoopies in just a matter of days. Thanks, pal. Hey, thanks for having me on. You'll be missed. There he goes. Good stuff, right, Spaghetti? I, I, I'm i telling you, I know uh, I said it to him, but that really, I just, you know, saw comments and it wasn't Pittsburgh related. Uh, it wasn't why I vibed to him. He just, uh, he emerged as uh, as uh, really bright and I think he just proved as much here, right? I, I totally agree. That was one of my favorite uh, guests we've had in a while. Maybe a dark hmm. horse for uh, guest of the year, non-football playing guest of the year. Because uh, I, I love college football, as you know, but it's weird that there are so many issues with it, but yet you still find a way to just uh, accept it and to love it. You guys that got into, obviously, the NIL stuff, why aren't some other schools getting involved? Is it just going to be the top four that we see now? Are they going to be the boring answers to who's in the college football playoff? Like, will it ever the gap between the Ohio States and the Alabama ever get really close? So, but, it, it, you know, regardless of all that, it's still really fun to watch. The Heisen race, it's still to see who gets in the big-time bowl games. Um, I love it. I'm very excited for this college football season. So, uh, having Alex... How about the Marcus awesome. Freeman love? How about that? 
God. Now I, we all have to root for the Irish. I, I don't know what to make. I of. really did agree with a lot of the stuff that Alex said. I agree with his, his, you know, his long shot predictions of who could make the final four. I kind of agree with him on Clemson a little bit, although I do think DJ will be okay. I, I agree with him totally with the Marcus Freeman stuff. And I'm not saying it's going to, you know, convert a nation of people rooting for Notre Dame. Um, but, uh, you know, he is a lot easier to root for than a Brian Kelly. And I hope LSU is, has a disastrous season. So, um, Alex, oh, that's going to be that. such a fun, st- that's see, that's something to root for. If you aren't rooting for one of the four teams is to watch the demise of Brian Kelly and the, the, the surging Notre Dame program. That's weird. Uh, but, but I do, uh, I do. And by the way, just get ready for it. If Pitt beats West Virginia and then somehow survives Tennessee the following week, just expect a lot of noise from Damashek about Pitt because you look at what is on the other side of those two games, they have a chance to get real deep into the ACC schedule undefeated. Um, but listen, let's uh, let's take care of business against the hated uh, Mountaineers first. Um, and uh, you know what? I think let's wrap it up here, Eddie Spaghetti. We'll be back in just a couple of days with our guy Kevin Hench to break down football the wrap-up of the baseball it's not even the wrap-up of baseball yet but close enough for me i'm too excited about football college and pro we'll get into all of it with kevin hench in just a couple of days until then thanks so much sports fans it's been a thin slice of heaven